long as the sex scene is moving the story forward, it can't just be sex for the sake of sex. Although there's nothing wrong with sex for the sake of sex. Um, <laughs> I feel like in, in fiction, it has to have a point. Is, is it healing something? Is it saying something? Is it moving something forward? Is it just relieving desire so that you can move on to the next thing? Whatever it is, it has to have a point. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy, and it's silly, and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco, and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, <laughs> see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Joining the podcast today is A.S. Fenichel. She gave up a successful IT career in New York City to move cross-country and pursue her lifelong dream of being a professional writer. She's never looked back. A.S. adores writing stories filled with love, passion, desire, magic, and maybe a little mayhem tossed in for good measure. We love mayhem around here. <laughs> um, books have always been her perfect escape, and she still relishes diving into one and staying up all night to finish a good story. The author of the Forever Bride series, the Everton Domestic Society series, Wallflowers of Westlane and more, A.S. adores strong, empowered heroine, heroines, no matter the era, and that's what you'll find in all her books. A Jersey girl at heart, Jersey represent. <laughs> she now makes her home in Southern Missouri with her real-life hero, her wonderful husband. When not reading or writing, she enjoys cooking, travel, history, puttering in her garden, and spoiling her cats. Andy, thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure. It's good to be here. I started... I started tripping over your name. I did it okay when we were talking when I was double checking and then I was like, oh God. No, you Panic. must have done it good because I didn't notice. So <laughs> you know how when like, somebody oh mispronounces God. your name, you cringe, but no, that didn't happen. <laughs> okay. Phew. I was like, oh my God, panic. I did it right before. And now I have like all of this pressure. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You were perfect again. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I guess we'll just like jump right in with the big question. When did you realize you wanted to become a writer? Because you were in IT, mm -hmm. which is sort of, I think, very different, but I suspect maybe not, depending um, on what you were doing. Well, it's pretty different. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't writing programs. I was, um, I worked for Hugo Boss. Oh, okay. And I supported their software program. Um, so that was pretty different. I taught people how to, you know, run the software program. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that is pretty different. Yeah. Um, the only thing that yeah. is a little the same is sometimes like if I give workshops, I can like fall back on how I did workshops when I was teaching computers to how you do because a workshop is a workshop. Um, right, right. The content so may be different, but the process is the same. As the kids call it now, UX, user experience. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so you moved from IT 
to writing, which is kind yeah. of curious. But if your dream, you had a lifelong dream of being a professional writer. So when did that start? Well, um, so sometime in my early 20s, I recognized that I could write down the stories that were in my head. They were all had always been there. I was, you know, that kid that stared out the window and daydreamed yeah. um, and told stories and made up uh, interactive games with my friends. But it never occurred to me to write them down until sometime in my early to mid 20s. And uh, I wrote a little short story. I think it was almost certain it was science fiction. And, uh, and then I went back to college later in life and took a couple of writing classes and just fell in love. Wow. So, okay. So I'm just to backtrack a little bit. How did you end up in IT of all places? Um, so I started in customer service for a company in New Jersey and, um, well, several companies. I, I worked for Shaw Industries and then I worked for a Dutch import company and I was in customer service. And um, then I'd done that for years and years. And frankly, I was really good at it. <laughs> I have the best customer service voice ever. People get mad. Nothing. It does not work on husbands. Just so you know, oh! husbands hate the customer service voice. <laughs> Passionately. <laughs> I mean, that is a whole thing in and of itself. And honestly, though, you have to, you must like have a lot of psychology, like maybe not necessarily a like a, a formal background in it, but I feel like there's a lot of gut, gut level psychology that yeah. goes on there in that job. <laughs> I know how people re will react under stressful situations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never, I never really thought of it as like a good precursor to being in particular a romance writer, but it actually is a really good training I, ground. I actually think any life experience is probably good for being a romance writer, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think customer service really helped because I know what'll tick people off because I know what used to tick me off and still I would continue to talk like this. No matter what anyone said to me, I would just continue to talk like this. <laughs> and and with with clients, that works great. Um, because if they, if you won't raise your voice, it's hard for them to continue to raise their voice. Right. But husbands, not so much. Oh, no, they get furious. <laughs> they get furious. <laughs> so I was doing that. And then um, the company I was working for, which was the Dutch import company, um, they implemented a software program. And uh, because I was that, that person in the office that knew lots of different bits and pieces of the business, they asked me to go to school and learn the program. Ah, okay. Um, so I did. And then I taught everyone in the company how to use the program. And then I went to the Netherlands and learned more and worked there for a while. And, and then when that company closed their US office, and I didn't want to move back to the Netherlands, I got a job with Hugo Boss. Okay, so it was sort of accidental, you just kind of yeah. fell into this job. Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so so then jumping back to your 20s when you're like, hey, I can write down these stories. Like what mm -hmm. what prompted you to actually do it? Um, 
oh, I don't know. The stories were in my head. And once I started writing, it's it's quite addictive, don't you think? Um, yeah, I do. I do. Once you start writing it down and someone says, hey, that's not bad. Or you even, if even if you won't show it to anybody right away, because goodness knows it was a long time before I'd show it to anybody. Um, you, you go back <laughs> a, a few weeks later and you read it and it's like fresh again. And you're like, hey, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take some classes and you learn how to write. <laughs> <laughs> That's really important. <laughs> Not everyone does it, but it's really important to learn how to write. Um, and then uh, one day, you know, somebody says, yeah, I'll publish your book. <laughs> oh my God, that's so crazy. So did you always know that you were writing romance? Like you said, that first that first story that you wrote down was probably sci-fi. Did it have romantic elements? It did. It did. Okay. I, I always okay. want a happily ever after. Okay. Um, you know, it's not always the case in real life. Um, but in in books, I, I generally want to have happily ever after, unless I'm reading a history book and then it's not going to end happy. <laughs> You can almost be sure it won't end happily. (laughs) So, so what, so is that like, you're, you're drawn to the happily ever afters. Is that what draws you to romance? It is. It is. I like the escape of that and the Mm. knowledge that somehow unfathomably this is going to end well, but you don't know how, you don't know how it's going to get from this completely miserable, horrible, everybody's a jerk point to happily ever after and uh, and hopefully we're all going to like the characters by the end of the book (laughs) here's a here's a left field question for you okay do you are you one of those people that tends to sort of flip to the back of the book when you're halfway through reading because you can't wait to know no never really never because once i know then i'm i'm a little devastated that i cheated Because I do, and I, you know, it's funny, I don't do it with romance because I know no matter what happens, it's going to turn out to be good. Mm -hmm. But if I'm reading like a thriller or a horror or something like that, I will totally skip to the end because I want to know who lives. I want (laughs) to know who lives. And then I can go, I don't like, so everyone's always spoiler, spoiler. I'm like, I don't care about spoilers. Like I want to know because I find the anxiety of not knowing who's going to survive, for example, <laughs> to just be too much. And so I just need to know. And then once I, once I'm okay, and that's why romance, I never feel the need to sort of jump forward and, and ruin it because I know it's going to be okay. And I can just enjoy the journey right. rather than having all this anxiety about the journey. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, that's it. what's beautiful about romance. And that's why when, you know, people say, um, something that ends tragically like Shakespeare is a romance. I'm like, I'm sorry, but Romeo and Juliet is not a romance. (laughs) That's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. (laughs) Or Nicholas Sparks is not usually a romance. I mean, it's romantic, but if it doesn't end with everybody living happily ever after, I'm not sold that that it's a romance. That ain't no real. I mean, Shakespeare, mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet would not survive Romance Landia critics. No. No. No, he would not. So do you remember the first romance you ever read? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Fantasy by Sandra Brown. Okay. And the girls in the office, that's when I worked for the carpet people. They gave me, they were giving me books all the time. My husband was working nights and I was like so bored and lonely. 
And so oh. they were giving me all these books to read. <laughs> and um, there were a lot of Star Trek books because I love Star Trek. I'm a big Star okay. Trek geek. And then uh, somebody slipped in this fantasy by Sandra Brown. And I was maybe 21. I mean, I'd, I'd read the dirty parts, you know, that you read when you're 12 and 13 and all your friends are reading the dirty parts of their mother's book. Um, so I'd read those when I was that age, but never just sat down and enjoyed a romance book until Sandra. And what did you think? Like when you were, because if it was your first one, were you like, like, ah, you know? Yeah, I was totally sold on it. (laughs) I'm like, that's why all these women are sitting in the doctor's office with the bodice rippers (laughs) in their hands. (laughs) What did you love about it? I mean, apart from the happily ever after, what did it for you? Um, I think it's that that sexual tension, that mm. that building of something, and um, you know, fantasy is is I mean, for the time, for it was the eighties, um, pretty sexy little book, and it's a little book. Um, I think it's like one hundred and fifty pages, but um, oh wow, yeah, it is a little book, yeah. But I mean, and it, I'm trying to, this is a long time ago, (laughs) Um, but it's just, it was sexy. It was smart. The characters were smart. Um, And there was all this sexual tension and issues going on. And then once, once they had sex, it was a lot of sex. I just (laughs) love that. Once we got over the hump, it was all good. Pun intended. Sex for days. <laughs> so, okay. So I know that, okay. So you're a sci-fi, you're kind of a sci-fi fan then if you're a Stark, yeah. if you're a Trekkie. And I noticed that you write mostly historicals, mm-hmm. um, which we will definitely talk about. But I did see some contemporaries mixed in your Amazon profile and some paranormals. It looked like that's where you started. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. All right. So why the pivot? Well, I was writing for Laura's Cave and I had written okay. um, the, the first book, which is uh, Mayan Afterglow, was a call from, from the publisher. They were looking for end of day stories. And so I had written, this is going to sound silly, but I had had a dream about like a court jester robbing jewels from a castle. And the next day there was this call from Alora's cave for end of days. And somehow in my twisted mind, those things went together. And so I changed my poor jester into a a real hero and he was stealing like food and stuff from homes where everybody had died because it was after end of days. Oh, wow. um, And so somehow in my mind that that made sense. Okay. No, it totally, actually it does to me right now when you're telling me about it. And I'm like, I'm like over here, I'm like, I know Laura's cave went under and I'm like, is, is that still for sale? Cause I think I might want to read this. So tell me more. <laughs> so then I, I finished the series. I wrote three books um, in that series, uh, which was the end of days, Mayan Afterglow, Mayan Craving, Mayan Inferno. 
And so I figure, okay, I'm a paranormal romance writer. So I wrote um, Kane's Bounty and Training Rain and Joshua's Mistake. And those were uh, more contemporary-ish. Um, they're almost um, urban fantasy. Okay. My characters are all part or on the outskirts of a psychic kind of CIA so that, um, so that's what I write. And then, but are, go ahead. Well, I'm curious, were they urban fantasies with romantic elements? So yeah. they were still romances, they're romances. or they're okay, they're still romances. romances. Yeah, okay. They have like an urban fantasy. They all take place in cities or um, around cities. Um, Joshua's mistake takes place a lot in New Jersey. Um, oh, how cool! Jersey I lived in New Jersey for like 12 years. So. Did you? Yeah. I'm a Jersey girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can take We're a out of Jersey. I, um, from central Jersey, I know some people say there's no such thing, but there is. Uh, <laughs> I'm from uh, South Brunswick. Okay. Which is just, right. just outside of Princeton. Okay. Yep. My husband grew up. He's a Jersey boy. He grew up in Bergen County. Oh, sure. So he was yes. within sight of New York. Yes. And, and I lived there for what 12 years yeah we met in new york city so yeah and then we moved out when we had the kid we moved closer to his family and I, so i was in jersey for 10 12 years 12 years nice i love new oh, jersey bless but it. too expensive to live there oh, <laughs> yes, and, and write books and my husband's retired so we, we we actually live in missouri now right in texas for a while and now we're in missouri well, you know, it's it's cheaper. It is. It it's is. cheaper. It, Northeast Coast is really expensive. It is. It's just a very expensive. Place. Anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> We're, we've we've now turned the podcast into a real estate podcast. Oh, so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now you have you have these paranormals, um, urban fantasy slash romances, and then you have the pivot to the historicals. Yeah. So why did you? So. There was a call for historical um, novellas for Christmas. So I wrote Christmas Bliss. And I had read historical romance through, you know, throughout my life. I loved them. Um, so I wrote Christmas Bliss and I really enjoyed it. And then later I wrote Wishing Game and I actually wrote it for an Easter call, but timing didn't work out. And so actually changed the holiday to Ladies Day, which is a holiday that used to exist in, in England in the uh, 19th century. Oh, wow. So wait a minute. How you're, you're writing these on a lot of like calls. Yeah. How quickly do you write? Well, I mean, they're short, they're novellas. I, I probably wrote Christmas Bliss and Wishing Game in maybe three or four weeks. Um, oh my god! I write as fast as the deadline is. If you give me six months to write it, I promise you it will take me six months to write it. <laughs> but if you give me six weeks, I could probably pull it off. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so I okay. I'm totally like I'm. I'm very envious of that. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could write like that. You know. I mean, I'm a little bit of a slow one. So <laughs> everybody's got a, their own process, but I'm better. Like I probably am doing very little writing for the first four months of that time because there's so much time. I have so much time. I can, I can do other things. I can spend more time on promotion. 
But once right. once that that ticking clock starts, then I I am suddenly a fast writer. <laughs> so do you do you outline? Yeah, I do. Um, okay. I rough outline um, because I like to give my characters a lot of room, and I'm not married to it. If it if it changes, if they do something unexpected, I'll I'll change the outline. Okay. All right. Because usually people that can go fast, I'm sort of half half ass outline, mm-hmm. and then and then I think that's part of my problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's a problem. Um, <laughs> it, it's just your process. I mean, there's lots of pantsers, right? There's tons of people who write like that, and they write beautiful yeah. books, and it's all yeah. somewhere in their head, even if they haven't quite discovered it or pulled it to the front yet. But and I yeah. used to do that when I first started writing, but then I've I find that I'm less stressed out if I know what's going to happen at the end of the book. <laughs> so are, are you going to stick with the historicals now or do you think you'll go like go back to the contemporary or are you just absolutely in love with your historicals? No, I'm going to I'm going to play around a little. Um so after um Alora's Cave shut their doors I actually merged historical with paranormal and I wrote the demon hunters. And so, oh, like, how fun. I yeah. missed that. Yeah. So Ascension, Deception, Betrayal, and there were supposed to be more books and there will be more books. Fingers crossed. Um, but the publisher didn't pick up the rest of the series. So, um, but I, I'm probably going to self-publish them. But anyway, uh, so I merged them, and they didn't do that well. But the people who read them, I get emails all the time. When are you going to write more? When are you going to write more? Oh. <laughs> so, I'm like, well, tell your friends. <laughs> I'm grabbing those two. That is so up my alley. That is so up. I'm like, a historical plus demon hunters? And I'm actually just started a new urban fantasy that I want to wrap more romance into because I write urban fantasy separate for contemporary romance and there's not happily ever after at all. Mm -hmm. And so even though there are romantic elements, um, but now I think I'm going to combine into the urban fantasy. So I'm super curious about your urban fantasy as well. I'm probably buying like your entire backlist. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, I got to see how she does this. Yeah, well... It was a lot of fun and there, you know, my lords and ladies and even there's um, housekeepers and maids and stuff that, that fight demons. I love it. And uh, so that, those were super fun and I just loved them, but because they didn't sell and I wanted to keep yeah. writing for Kensington, um, I wrote, I, I switched to historical and I love it and I'll keep doing it. Um but I, I definitely want to write more paranormal. And then I have this fantasy, high fantasy series in my head that won't let go. Oh, um, wow. So that'll probably happen too. I don't know about contemporary. You never know. So now historicals, like uh, readers are usually sticklers for details. So I'm very curious what sort of research goes into these books. Um, so it depends on the book. Um. For example, let me let me think of a good one. Um, so, misleading the Duke, misleading a Duke um, has a lot of spies in it, mm-hmm. and 
so I had to do a lot of research on on spies in Regency England. Um, and actually, the three the three French spies, they're not all French, but they're spies for France, that are in the book um, were real people, historical people who did not do what they do in my book, as far as I know, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I use them to uh, to do terrible things in my book. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but they they do terrible things. Okay, but they're okay. Um, they're real people, and um, historically, two of them were really horrible people. Um, okay, but um, yeah, so I used them because I thought that would be fun. It's all about having fun in my world. If writing isn't fun, then you shouldn't you shouldn't pour your heart into it. I agree. So I'm just making jotting that down because I love that. All about having fun in my world. I yeah, love it. It is. Um so when your characters, you know, I got were they Randy back then? I'm just gonna ask the question. I, I don't think that um we invented sex. Or desire <laughs> for it. Um, so yes, sure, and that's why people got married so quickly. Um, you know, they they know each other for three weeks, and they they'd marry they get married once the bands were read, um, because they didn't want them having sex before marriage. But and they often did, and there were lots of seven month premature babies, and even. Like in Mansfield Park, um, Jane Austen, the the Henry and Mary Crawford are pretty. I mean, they, we don't actually see it on the page, but they're pretty promiscuous, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, because I guess we we were always sort of told that there were there was certain proprieties, and you know, and so and so as you know, when I'm reading steamy historicals, I'm sort of like, okay, so I know that you know. There's, I, I know some historical readers are stick like right down to the details of the dresses and the clothes and the, you know, like you really have to have your history and an understanding of that history. But then like, does that go out the window because these characters are having such promiscuous, mo so, you know, these promiscuous moments well, or were they really having a lot of sex there? I think they were having a lot of sex. However, I think you have to be, um, you have to be careful. It's a romance novel. So right. you don't want your heroine to be a slut. Right. You want her to be so desperately attracted to the hero that she has to have sex with him. Right. Um, or, well, no, no, or, and <laughs> um, you, you have to make it so that no one would find out. Because they would be ruined if if they found out and didn't get married. Now, if they got married, then everything it would be forgiven. So, are your but your happily ever afters? I'm assuming come with marriage attached because of the because of the historical period, or do some yes. of them not have marriage attached to it? No, well, they don't always plan to get married. I write pretty um, strong female characters. Yeah. I, I write empowered women, um, no matter what period I'm writing in. So 
like the Everton Domestic Society, those are all women who have chosen this career rather than marriage. Every one of them has chosen to join the Everton Domestic Society for one reason or another, because they don't think they can get married, because they don't want to get married, because um, they're in trouble and they're hiding out. Whatever it was, they they aren't planning a marriage. So since all of my characters have sex before marriage, I think all. I'm trying, I'm looking around my room at my book covers thinking, did anybody not have sex before marriage? <laughs> and I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. Maybe this says something about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it does. <laughs> so they all, okay. they all, they all, it all happens in a way that either they they think they'll get married or they think it's worth it to have right. sex with this person and right. not marry him. Gotcha. So going way back to that first, you know, your first book uh, that you wrote mm -hmm. uh, and your very first sex scene, because Laura's Cave was, I mean, they sort of like made their name on their steam. Yes. Um, what was that like for you to write your very first one? Um awkward <laughs> really but as so for me as long as the sex scene is moving the story forward mm -hmm. it can't just be sex for the sake of sex although there's nothing wrong with sex for the sake of sex um <laughs> i feel like in in fiction it has to have a point okay is, is it healing something? Is it saying something? Is it moving something forward? Is it just relieving desire so that you can move on to the next thing? Whatever it is, it has to have a point. Um, so when I first submitted Mayan Inferno, this is a little known fact. Um, maybe nobody's, maybe I've never told anybody this before. My husband knows. They said, this is a great story. It needs more sex. Oh, <laughs> how much did you have or not have? I were, like, how it's a novella. It's only like 35,000 words. And it had right. two sex scenes. And so oh, wow. I added what? another sex scene. I think, I think just one more, maybe two more. It's still, wow. it's still a really short book. And there's a lot of sex in it. And that's actually harder to do than just to write a sex scene that's part of my story arc. Right. Now I have to make, I have to change the arc. Right. Cause you need to include a new, a new scene. How, wow. How difficult was that? It, it was less difficult than I expected it to be when I got the letter and keep in mind, I'd been trying to get published for years and years. Um, right. So when I got the letter and it, the first part of it said, um, we really like your story, I'm paraphrasing, but, and as soon as I got to but, I stopped reading because I had gotten oh, no. so many rejection letters. Uh, and I was right. in a little diner with my husband and he's like, what's wrong? And I just handed the phone to him and he read the email. He's like, this is actually not bad. <laughs> so, so I'm like, Oh, well, let, let me read it. 
And then you were like, oh, crap. Oh, I mean, did they so tell you we need me. two more? We need two more. We need one more. Did they Did they say or they just no, said they we just need said, more sex? They just said you have to add more sex. They said, and we'll take another look at it if you add more sex. Oh, and, man. I mean, that was their thing, right? They Right, they, right. They, for the most part, they publish sexy books. Now, my historicals with them were in their sweet line. There's no sex in those. I didn't even realize they had a sweet line. I had they, no idea that they, they had a sweet did. line. They did. Wow. It, I, okay. It didn't do very well, but they did have one. But um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, so I just, I just went through it and I found a spot where, you know, some romantic moment could turn into more. And I, I added a really sexy sex scene and I sent it back and they said, yes. Wow. I don't know. I would feel a little, I guess, I mean, because I struggle to write my intimate scenes to begin with. So I feel like that would just throw, like, I would just be like, oh, no. Like, I would freeze. I feel like you I would have to freeze. be desperate to get published. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So do you have a, do you have a process for writing the steamy bits? Or is it just, you just plow along and it's no, no big deal? It is harder than writing anything else. It is. However, okay. I I've tried like putting in the marker and I'll come back to it and I can't mm-hmm. get past it because if I don't know what what happened in the sex yep. scene, you know, what what moved the story forward, then I'll just end up going back and having to rewrite everything past the sex scene. Right. So right. even if it's just little bits, it's it's like a whole new editorial process. So I just write them and they take longer than any other scene in the book but i i write them i'm very linear yeah yeah i I tend to be too so because they are the slower scene what what trips you up there do you think it's the the choreography do you think it's getting the pacing right do you know like i i still don't know what kind of slows me down with them but i do know i slow down hmm Let's think. And I don't with my urban fan, like because you know urban fantasies are fight scenes. You mm-hmm. know when you're not writing, so yeah. so I fight don't with are my the fight best scenes. To, to write. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I can I fly through those. Yeah. I fly the demon hunters. Those. There's all these fight scenes with demons, and those were awesome. And and there is a lot of choreography. Yeah. But every fight is different, and I think that the hard thing with sex is you don't want every sex scene to be the same. Right. He put his hand here and then she put her hand there and then he kissed her here and you don't want that. So. Right. And are they chatty? Are they not chatty? Are they loud? You don't want every scene to be the same from book to book, from even from scene to scene with the same two characters. So I think that's hard. Um, I mean, I don't know it's hard it's hard to write sex it's hard to talk about intimate things to strangers so you kind of have to take yourself out of it and it's it's an intimate scene but it's an intimate scene between two people who are not you right and that's that's the key to it for me anyway is you know before I was when I first went to college before I went back I was a theater major. So that's how I think about it. I think about it. This is not me. And I do that through the entire book, not just sex. Right. I'm sure there's bits of me. There's definitely bits of my mother. 
Well, I mean, I think we take our, per- we have to take our experiences into it because that's where we gain our understanding. I too was a theater major in college. So, <laughs> so I think we do take our, you know, we take our lived experience to the work that we write, even if it's not the same, we still have experienced the same emotions that our characters have felt, Right. whether, you know, whether it's love or shame or anger or, you know, whatever. I mean, ironically though, I guess I've never been a bloodthirsty vampire yet i write one so well if i was a blood this is how i would react to this situation <laughs> and quickly yet for some reason you know the process of writing like writing that steam and i think it's really writing and writing anger maybe versus writing love and anger tends to be fast yeah. and 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 loud and extreme and sudden yeah yeah. whereas love unfolds so slowly and i and i'm wondering if maybe that's it like maybe maybe it's maybe it's simply that yeah maybe it's meant to be slowly yeah Hmm. i don't know it's an interesting interesting thought yeah 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 okay so um i have your excerpt here. It is from Misleading a Duke, which is from the Wallflowers of West Lane series. Can you set up the scene for us? Uh, yes. I'm going to try and do it without spoilers. Okay. <laughs> so those terrible spies that I mentioned have captured Faith and Nick. Um, and they're in this little castle where Faith had I may have to go back a little further. Faith had um, Faith and Nick are engaged. Faith had never met Nick before. Um, Faith did not like that her mother set this up. And so she fought it and she had her friends in the West Lane, Wallflowers of West Lane, investigate him. Mm. Nick is a spy and he figured it out and he did not like it. And mm. he's tried to get her to call off because if she calls off there's no harm if he calls off she's ruined i don't know if you you read historical but that's just i the way, did not realize that that's okay. just the way it worked if the if the woman says breaks off the engagement there's no harm but if the man breaks off the engagement that means the woman is an undesirable it was not a fair world it's still not a fair world but that's how it worked back then So he's trying to get her to call off and she won't because she doesn't like to be pushed around. And um, she didn't like her mother pushing around. Now she doesn't like him pushing around. So she tricks him into going to this little castle and they're all alone there. And no one besides her friends knows they're there. Except these spies followed him there. Okay. And they've, um, they've tortured him. And she took care of him. And that's the setup. Okay. (laughs) So already we've got this sort of actually like, you know, you know, they're going to fall in love after that. You know it. You know it. Okay. I'm going to read this little bit, which I really loved. Okay. I want to touch you, Nick. Never had any six words sounded so beautiful. He released her hip and let loose the fall of his breeches. Rising, rising with care, 
that pain not end this before it had really begun. He removed what few clothes he had on. I will not be able to lie on my back. She sat up and gawked her fill of him in the moonlight ro moonlit room. Tentatively, she touched the tip of his shaft, then slid her fingers lower. Her touch was soft and light and maddeningly erotic. Is it strictly necessary for you to lie on your back? Taking hold of her hand, he stopped her seduction. Not strictly, he laughed. If you're certain, I'm sure we can make do. Faith got to her feet on top of the mattress and tugged her chamois over her head, then flung it to the floor. I'm taking your word that you find my form pleasing. With the moon behind her, she glowed in a perfect feminine silhouette before she knelt down in front of him. Knowing it would not be what it should, Nick vowed it would be wonderful to, for Faith. He slid his hands from her shoulders down and let his thumbs rub over her pebbled nipples. Okay, I'm in love with him. <laughs> so he must have, like, he was a roguish hero, I'm guessing. He's a spy. Um, he's secretive. So, right. Um, he's, he's very secretive. And that, that I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> that's right. their whole problem is he won't tell her anything about himself beyond his childhood. And then all and so she, yeah. And so she's obviously wants to know more of him and he's holding back and that's what's creating their conflict. Right. That Okay. And now she knows she's I mean she suspected, she figured a lot out on her own um with her friends. But now obviously they've been captured by spies. She's very familiar with what he used to do. Okay. All right. Because it just seemed like already right here, he was so completely likable. And I'm guessing if he wanted to force her to break up their engagement, um, he was probably behaving like a bit of an ass. Well, he, or no, not if so he much. had broken off the engagement and ruined her would have been worse. Right. Um, but yes, he was being a bit of an ass for not giving her a chance to explain Right. Why right. she had done and, the things she had done. Right. Okay. I also am struck by the language that you use I, because it, it is so sort of of the time, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, like your paranormals are probably very different. And I'm kind of in awe of people, of people who are able to sort of like shift their voice like mm -hmm. this. I think it's so cool that you can do, like you're able to do that. I have a list of words. <laughs> That really? I can't use in his article. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, because I say okay a lot. Right. Okay makes it into my historicals a lot. And, and sometimes they slip through and I get all kinds of emails about them. Um, but I go through and I look for okay because okay was not a word used until like the 1920s in, in America, not in wow. England. Wow. Um, you don't think about it because we use it so much. And there was no spelled O-K-A-Y. That didn't exist until much later. But the O and K was like on the Boston Post in 1920 for some, I don't, I'm not even sure what it was, uh, what the headline was, but it was some headline. And so that word didn't exist. There's lots of those kinds of things. How Use of language. This? Yeah. How do you learn about this? Use of, like that to me is sort of pretty fascinating. Like how did you, is like, is there like a big encyclopedia of <laughs> words from I'm, the olden times? You there, know? <laughs> there certainly are lots of books about it. Um, okay. A lot of times my editor will find it or 
unfortunately, sometimes they get through and a reader will say something and then it gets added to my list of words to look for when, when I do my first edit. But uh, most of the time, most of the time, you know, you, you know, words that probably didn't exist and you can check. And sometimes right. you'd be surprised that they did. Well, because I would think particularly for, you know, I mean, naming body parts, right? Mm -hmm. When naming a penis, naming a vagina, naming a vulva, naming breasts, like, you know, you, you can't repeat the sort of clinical anatomically correct name over and over again. And I'm, I imagine for the time period, they must have had very different words. Yeah, they didn't say penis and vulva. Right. I'm not even sure. I mean, beyond a medical world that anybody would have known what a vulva was right <laughs> but you know but even then like like i guess they would have said cock back then they, they but, did they, yeah so that depends on um whether what i'm writing so cock offends a lot of readers who read historical even though it was probably the more used word um, so because I'm not writing um, erotic anymore, it, and that's another thing. Like when you write erotic, you you write cock and right and slit and. But when you're not writing that, you have to you have to tame that back a little bit, right? And they so shaft and rod work. Um, they did use mons, which I actually hate. I don't know. I just hate that. I word. actually forgot about moms. <clears throat> I actually completely forgot about that yeah. one. I I really don't like that word. I don't either. It's like there's a reason. I don't I know. I just don't like that <laughs> word. <laughs> there's a reason why I forgot that word. That's right. Yeah. Write it from your memory. <laughs> but yeah, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, like it just because because you know even now like with modern language I will still struggle with what to call things because it gets repetitive and you're right there are words that readers can just completely you know skeeve yeah and you don't want to do that either yeah you know there are books for for that too there are yeah what I don't know um, Cara Bristol wrote naughty words for nice not naughty words for nice writers it's on my shelf right here it's like a romance novel thesaurus and she's actually a oh. wonderful person and she's she's got all the dirty words and the nice words for all the parts. Oh, I'm going to have to take that. I'm going to have to give that a look because <laughs> that might be useful. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to go more reading, more reading. Okay. Nick. I love you, Nick. <laughs> Nick slid one hand between her knees and applied just enough pressure so that she knew what he wanted. An instant later, her legs opened for him. Lie back, sweetheart. Staying on her elbows, she watched. Somehow her constant attention was even more arousing. Nick's body thrummed with need, but he lowered his head and made love to her with his mouth. She tasted like the sweetest honey and threw her head back while biting her lip to keep from waking the house. Faith collapsed back on the mattress, her head rolling from side to side and her hips pumping against his ravenous mouth. Nick slid a finger inside her just as her mus muscles clenched in release. It was spectacular. She was magnificent. He pulled her from the bed and into his arms, holding her until her rapture passed. 
Wishing he had the strength to lift her onto the bed wouldn't make it so. Instead, he lowered her to the mattress with her help. When she put her head on the pillow and waited, he joined her on his side, facing her. Are you all right? Poppy said it was wonderful, but I have to admit I didn't believe her. Laughing, Nick caressed her from shoulder to hip. And what do you think now? She took his shaft in her hand. I think there is more pleasure to be had before the sun comes up. Now, this is a woman who knows exactly what she wants. (laughs) (laughs) And it is Nick. (laughs) So, I mean, this kind of like, this is where I sort of jumped in about the, oh, well, you know, what, like, what was the the sex life of Victorians back then before they were married. Um, I do know that they had those dirty playing cards. Um, <laughs> that was, just you know, for men though, I think. <laughs> yeah. And those were just for men. Exactly. And so it just kind of, you know, the idea, and I, I get this, you know, all the time when I, when I do, I don't read a lot of historicals, but I, I've had one other historical romance author for this podcast. Um, I'm just sort of fascinated by how, much sex was going on here and that this isn't necessarily um you know something that romance writers are making up this actually did happen well the story is certainly made up but uh um, right but people had sex before marriage people have always had sex before marriage um and likely always will um but so in this in this particular story they are in a room together, they're locked in a room together. Um, there are only um, three servants in the house, and they are also captives. And then, at the moment that this is happening, there's only one of the spies, and and he's a drunk. Mm. So, I mean, they're pretty safe, right? At least from gossip, if not from you know certain death. And, you know, when there's certain death involved, people will uh, have sex. Yeah, they'll loosen their their restrictions (laughs) on sex. That's right. Okay, one more more section. She wrapped her hand around the back of his head, allowing him to deepen the kiss and moaned into his mouth. Lord, he could listen to that sound for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, that might only be for a few more hours. It would have to be enough. He rolled her to her back, but couldn't hold his own weight in his arms. Sighing, he rolled back to his side. We'll have to try this another way. She faced him with those inquisitive eyes boring into him. There's more than one way. Hundreds, my sweet. I wish I had time to show them all to you and perhaps discover some new ones. Frowning, she cradled his face in her hands. Do not talk like that. Make love to me, Nick, and don't think about anything else. Can you do that? His painfully hard shaft jerked, indicating that he could. I will do my best. Rewarding him with a long, wet kiss, she bent one leg over his, bringing them intimately close. Nick lifted her other leg over him, but kept hold of it so she didn't touch his back. She rolled onto her back, cheeks flushed with desire. She was so wet to his touch, she couldn't help sliding his fingers over her sensitive bud until her hips pumped and her eyes closed. With just the slightest adjustment, his tip entered her and he drew her lips down, her, her hips down hard. What I thought was really interesting about this is kind of in terms of the choreography where you've complicated the act with an injury. Mm-hmm. 
And so like, you know, and already you're kind of like, okay, how did the legs go here? Arm goes here. And now you've also got to stop and think about, well, wait a minute. He's got, he's, he's been tortured and his back is all chewed up. And so, so that's one more complication to the writing. And so I'm kind of curious, why did you have their first coupling at a moment when he was injured? It wasn't up to me. (laughs) It was up to them. You know, if if not, then maybe never from their their perspective, perspective, because they, he certainly fully expects not to live through the next day or two. Um, and, and she knows he's probably right. So, um, and before then, um, they hadn't really forgiven each other. Mm. So timing. This is almost, they're all is lost moment, right? And they're just gonna, they're just gonna do it because all is lost. Exactly. But but writing in that injury and particularly an injury that is going to affect, you know, some performance abilities, they're not going to be able to do it a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like, did that add another layer of, of complication to writing? I think it made it almost easier. Really? Because, because he, he cannot um, lay on his back and he's kind of weak. He's in a weakened state. So there's a lot of things he couldn't do. So I, I had to think about, well, if you can't do this and you can't be up on your knees for a long time, cause that would be exhausting. Um, what can you do and what, what, how much pain are you willing to endure for pleasure? And really right. he's more worried about her pleasure than his own, which, which is so lovely. Sweet. Yeah. Which is so sweet. So what, is this all written? Is this a dual point of view or is it all written from his? It's a dual of, point of view. It is dual point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love that you wrote this sex scene in his head. I think that that is so cool. Do, do we get it from her perspective too? Or is that sort of like later? Not later. This particular not in this. It is later. In this section. Okay. Okay. And it seemed like this was, was this his turning point in terms of kind of falling for her and not wanting to call off the engagement? Uh, it was earlier. Okay. Um, yeah, it's earlier. Cause this is not okay. the first time she had to take care of him. Okay. And that's where it, that's where it changed. That's well, where it shifted. It's, I think when he realizes this is not an ordinary woman. Right. So at this point, has she released him from the engagement? No. Well, okay. no, I mean, there's no one to call off to at two. this okay. point. Um, right. So not yet, no. Or even to him, has she re- has she said, I'll, I'll release the engagement, you know, has she actually said that to him or, no. or not even but that? But he hasn't okay. asked for it in a long time either. Okay. Okay, because he does make an assumption kind of at the end that she's going to find a nice noble, nobleman to marry. And I guess that assumption is also based on the fact that he thinks he's going to die. Yes. Got it. Okay, cool. I thought they were so lovely together. And he was like, I, it was just like, oh, my heart. He was great. <laughs> yeah, Nick is lovely. He was he was so amazing. Um, so you have, so this one just came out 
in end of September. Yes. Misleading the Duke. But now you have another one coming out in this series. Yes. Um, Wallflowers of Westlane capturing the Earl. We'll be out Let's talk in about January. That. Okay. So, what happens here? So um, capturing the Earl is about Mercy, Mercedes Heath, and she is an orphan. So one of the things about the Wallflowers of West Lane is they went, they were sent away to school and that's where they met. Uh, Okay. And I did that because we always see men who were sent to Eton and became friends and they have a lifelong friendship. And you rarely see that in historicals um, with women. So I wanted that. Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. So when they first get back from school, Aurora is the first one to be married off and she's abused and that's Mm. not on the page just for everybody's heart. It's not on the page. Okay. Um, It's only in my head. So because of that, and then the uh, husband dies, that's where we start the first book, which is uh, the Earl not taken. Okay. And he dies and now they all make a pact that they'll never let that happen to each other again. They'll, they'll uh, protect each other. Okay. So in capturing the Earl, um, Wesley Renshaw uh, wants to marry Aurora because she owns a piece of land that he needs. And we shouldn't make him seem too cutthroat. It was always done. It was done quite often back then um, that people married for money and People still marry for money Um, and people married for plots of land. And um, so Mercy's job, if you want to call it that, is to discourage him because Aurora doesn't ever want to get married again. And so they are thrown together quite a lot. And, um, and he's, he's really lovely too. (laughs) (laughs) I love my heroes. <laughs> well, what makes a good hero? I think um, a, a good hero will fall in love with a strong woman for exactly what she is. Mm. Not try to change her. Because I, I write these really strong female characters yeah. who I also love. Um, but... I mean, not in real life, not all men love strong women. I mean, I'm married to a man who likes very smart women and I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and a lot of times, even today, women will dumb themselves down for men. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I, but I write these women who will never do that. Um, and Mercy is actually a, a very accomplished musician which is like my dream, which I'm not at all an accomplished musician. <laughs> um, but I keep trying. Um, but um, Mercy is, and she's so beautiful in the, in the music and then so torn in life because he's an earl um, right. and she is just an orphan who has very high-ranking friends. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, it's really a lovely story, but there are no spies in that one. There's no torture. 
<laughs> no torture going on. No torture in the capturing mural. <laughs> so, okay, one more question I'm curious about to you. What do you think makes a good intimate scene? What are the elements that goes into it that makes it good? Um, okay. So I think it has to start with a lot of sexual tension. Okay. I think there has to be um a lot of of um what's the word not just desire but um willingness to trust mm, yeah okay um, yeah and i think that's true in real life as well as in fiction so right. if, if you're and with fiction you know your characters are probably or possibly coming from a place of mistrust, especially in historical, where you know most of the women that I'm writing are, are virgins. Not all, but because um, Aurora was married, and she'll have a story, and she won't be a virgin, but she'll have her own issues, right? Because she was a battered woman. So, right. Um, so it's that point where you get to to trust, and the same with um, Nick and and Faith. Um, she doesn't trust him because he shares nothing and he doesn't trust her because she spied on him. And mm -hmm. now they've come to this, this place of trust and just like opens up like a flower. I hate to be yeah. sappy and metaphoric, but I just think that once you get the passion, which you can have with, you know, without trust and then the um, trust, it just becomes a beautiful moment. I completely, I completely agree. And I never really thought about the trust as being the point where everything unfolds, but it actually is. It's sort of, I'm thinking back to, you know, my books and where, you know, the, the relationship then blossomed, you know, to continue mm -hmm. with the flower metaphor. And it was always once that level of trust had been, you know, had been established and, and then, and then maybe the character pull takes that trust back because they're scared or, you know, whatever it might be. But that initial moment, those sort of like that barrier has come down because there is a level of trust between them that's grown between them. And I think that, I think that maybe, oh, I feel like I've just had a revelation. You had a Thank breakthrough. You. Yeah. <laughs> Where can readers find you on the internets? Um, so asfenichelle.com. And I'm on Twitter, asfenichelle. And I'm on Instagram, asfenichelle. And I'm on Facebook and BookBub. And if you put asfenichelle in, you can find me almost everywhere. <laughs> And I will include links um, oh, in awesome. the show notes as well. So, Andy, thank you so much for being here. This was so great. Thank you, Elle. This was, this was a lot of fun. Yay. <laughs> and I and wasn't that weirded out about hearing my own sex scenes read back to me. So that was okay? Yeah, wasn't that bad? Okay, cool. Because it weird some people out there like, oh my God, that was excruciating. <laughs> it was, I thought oh, it was sorry. going to be. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but we can't talk about it without like reading it and understanding. <laughs> we can't dig into it. So, well, thank you for being a good sport. And I'm glad that it wasn't too painful. No, thanks. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode. 
Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.